Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. Policy Pack Software, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also by Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions. And of course, also by Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these great sponsors to thank. And now for some news. So I took some time off this week, and when I got home on Tuesday, I had a text message from my father telling me that hackers had taken down the internet. Of course, that wasn't true, but the real story was that Fastly who provide CDNs or content delivery networks used by many, many sites and services had an outage, which caused sites to become inaccessible. According to a report in The Guardian, the outage was caused by a bug in their product that laid dormant and was triggered by an unnamed customer when they attempted to carry out a valid configuration change. Fastly state that within 49 minutes, 95% of their network was operating as normal again. I recall when the fix was put in place at that time, they warned that it was possible that not all sites would work right away and could possibly have issues again that should resolve themselves due to the cache being out of sync. To Fastly's credit, they seem to provide a status update every three minutes. They were pretty transparent when the outage was occurring. And I mean, I think everyone listening to this podcast works in IT. These things happen. What really matters is how they handle it and how they communicate, and it seems like they did a pretty good job on that. Apple's WWDC event was held this week, and TechCrunch.com covered some of the highlights, including the announcement that iOS version 15 will roll into public beta in July with a full release schedule for this fall. Or autumn for my non-US-based listeners. I'm not going to go through all the highlights that TechCrunch.com listed, but some of the ones that I thought were pretty interesting was that FaceTime is getting spatial audio. So you've heard me talk about Group Room in the past and their really cool spatial awareness features and spatial audio. So it seems like something that might be somewhat comparable is going to come to FaceTime. And they say that it will make it seem more like your friend's voices are coming from their on-screen position in the FaceTime video. So I guess like if they're over to the left of the screen, then it's gonna sound more audible, maybe from the left speaker. Kinda cool, but you know, FaceTime to me at least is somewhat limited screen real estate wise anyways, but it would be cool to see what it's like. They also said there'd be better voice isolation for helping in loud environments. Something that I thought was pretty cool is they're going to have SharePlay to allow you to listen to music and watch video from multiple different streaming services and control apps in sync with your friends. It's a shame that's coming out now. That would have been really cool to have for the pandemic lockdown when it was starting. Across all Apple operating systems, Siri's speech recognition will now happen on device keeping the audio recordings off of Apple servers and allowing for Siri commands without an internet connection. So it sounds pretty good for privacy and also just for reliability. 
though I'm not a huge fan of Siri, to be honest. Also pretty interesting is that Apple says it's opening up Siri to third-party manufacturers and their devices, allowing Siri to live on things like Ecobee thermostats beginning later this year. Maybe not that enterprise-related. I'm not aware of too many enterprise vendors who integrate with Siri, but FaceTime certainly was very important in healthcare during the pandemic. For macOS, which would be probably more enterprise-related, the next major release of macOS has been called macOS Monterey. So sticking with that California theme. This will also be in public beta in July with a full release this fall or autumn. They said there would be a universal control feature which will let you use one keyboard mouse setup to control multiple Macs and iPads, automatically recognizing when a new compatible device is placed nearby. Macs are also getting AirPlay, allowing you to send AirPlay content to your Mac's display like you might with an Apple TV. And Safari is getting a major UI overhaul. Tabs are being made smaller and they're introducing tab groups to keep things better organized. In unfortunate news, Ars Technica reports that some new features of macOS Monterey will not work on Intel processors, meaning you'll need the new M1 chip to use them and possibly future chips after the M1, I guess. These features include live text in photos where users can interact with text within images as if they're just any other form of text, improved city maps for San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York, and London, the high detail globe view for Apple Maps, the portrait mode video effect in FaceTime, natural text-to-speech in Swedish, Danish, Norwegian, and Finnish, and also unlimited continuous keyboard dictation. So that's pretty unfortunate. It seems this is probably going to be par for the course from now on. New features are going to be developed that will not work on those Intel processors. So for anyone who maybe bought a non-M1 Mac in the last couple of years, sorry, it's just going to become a much larger divide as time goes on there was no new hardware announced which i guess is not too surprising from memory i think they typically announce those later like closer to the autumn but it'll be interesting to see when they do that and if they do that considering the chip shortage that could be causing some supply problems i guess we'll have to keep our eyes peeled it was announced this week that private equity firms Bain Capital and Crosspoint Capital will acquire ExtraHop for $900 million. The statements made about the acquisition focus on the strengths of ExtraHop in regards to cybersecurity. GeekWire reports ExtraHop had raised $61.6 million to date and its last cash infusion was a $41 million Series C round led by Technology Crossover Ventures which later exited its investment. Congrats to everyone at ExtraHop. They've got a really awesome product and an amazing team of people working there. The success is definitely deserved. It was announced this week that Microsoft's Windows Virtual Desktop is now rebranded to Azure Virtual Desktop. There have also been some pricing changes. The new per user access pricing options will be effective on January 1st, 2022. Pricing for monthly user access rights effective from that date will be $5.50 per user per month for applications or $10 per user per month for applications and desktops. 
They say the promotion only applies to external user access rights. Organizations would continue to pay for the underlying Azure infrastructure, and organizations should continue to use existing Windows license entitlements, such as Microsoft 365 E3 or Windows E3 and higher for app streaming to their employees. So essentially those are the sticker prices. There's still going to be some underlying costs. Very interestingly, and something that I didn't really see bounced around or promoted that much on social media, in the announcement blog post, they said that you'll soon be able to join your Azure Virtual Desktop virtual machines directly to Azure Active Directory and connect to the virtual machines from any device with basic credentials. You'll also be able to automatically enroll the virtual machines in Microsoft Endpoint Manager. So the ability to join your virtual desktops directly to Azure Active Directory sounds really intriguing to me. And it's something that I felt was sorely lacking in the product because particularly for those smaller organizations who may have been using something just like Okta, for example, maybe it's a startup and they're just using Okta for publishing out their applications. Well, for them, WVD as it was would not have been all that appealing. They would have had to set up their own domain controllers and then set up the VPN and it's just expensive and complex and not a very attractive option when you're going from something as simple as Okta. I think I even tweeted a few months ago that I thought that something like this would be crucial to the success of WVD going forward and it seems like with Azure Virtual Desktop, this is going to be the future. So pretty cool stuff. In an interesting development for the Colonial Pipeline story, Bloomberg reported that an account's password has since been discovered inside a batch of leaked passwords on the dark web, and that a Colonial employee may have used the same password on another account that was previously hacked. The article states investigators may never know for certain how the credentials were obtained. I'd like to point out a blog post that I posted a few weeks ago with the message about how personal security is corporate security. It is very important to emphasize to employees to follow good practices on their personal accounts outside of work and definitely never to use the same passwords they have used in their personal services and accounts for their work accounts. Remember this colonial pipeline story has been used by some to suggest the hack only happened because they had a VPN in place to support remote work during the pandemic. They're trying to spin this narrative that, well, there's an inherent risk in letting people work remote and this is proof of that. Well, of course, that's just a load of bull. The weakness here wasn't a VPN by the sounds of things. It was someone reusing a password. On a previous episode of the podcast, I raised the alarm about the VMware vCenter vulnerability that had a critical severity rating. Well, now there's extra emphasis as it is now under active exploit. This vulnerability is CVE-2021-21985. Kevin Beaumont reports that it took about 35 minutes for his honeypot to get hacked. And other security researchers have also confirmed attacks too. There are still thousands of servers publicly exposed online that are vulnerable. So get patching as soon as possible. Another month, another Patch Tuesday, and BleepyComputer.com reports that Microsoft's June 2021 Patch Tuesday brings with it fixes for seven zero-day vulnerabilities and fixes for a total of 50 flaws. Of the other flaws, five have been classified as critical and 45 as important. 
six of them known to be exploited in the past already. A wide range of Microsoft's products have been patched this month, but the zero days are in the kernel, NTFS, DWM, MS HTML, and Microsoft Enhanced Cryptographic Provider Elevation. As always, other vendors have also released security patches in line, including Adobe, Cisco, SAP, and more. The Hacker News reported that four security vulnerabilities discovered in the Microsoft Office suite, including Excel and Office Online, could be potentially abused by bad actors to deliver attack code via Word and Excel documents. Three of the four flaws have been patched with the Patch Tuesday patches, with the fourth patch to be issued with June's update. A vulnerability has been identified in Citrix Cloud Connector that may result in sensitive info being stored in the Citrix Cloud Connector installation log files, which if exploited could allow access to a customer Citrix Cloud environment. Citrix say this affects all versions of Citrix Cloud Connector which were installed by passing secure client parameters for install via the command line. If you used Interactive Installer by just like next, 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 you should not be affected. Impacted customers are recommended to delete any secure clients from their Citrix Cloud Portal, which have previously been used for command line installation. Customers are also recommended to review the installation document for a Citrix Cloud Connector for any future installations, as this has been updated. Citrix also reported on multiple vulnerabilities that have been discovered in Citrix ADC, Citrix Gateway, and Citrix SD-WAN WANOP appliance models, which affect models 4000WO, 4100WO, 5000WO, and 5100WO. There's a pretty long list of the versions of these products that are affected, so I won't read through them on this episode. I will supply a link for more information with this episode, though, if you'd like to read them for yourself, on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links for episode 180. All the issues have been addressed in Citrix managed cloud services such as Citrix Gateway Service and Citrix Secure Workspace Access. So if you use those, you have no actions to take. If you're not using the cloud services, there's a list of what version you need to get onto in order to be protected against the vulnerabilities. They also say that in addition, upon upgrading to the fixed version, Customers must modify the device configuration to resolve CVE-2020-8300. Citrix strongly recommends that affected customers install relevant updates as soon as possible. On the topic of patching, which I don't think is news, but it was news to me this week, I discovered that Patch My PC have a personal lab subscription available. If you'd like to use their product for 25 or fewer machines in your lab, you can sign up to get a personalized quote. Notepad++ version 8 was released this week that brings with the dark mode, which everyone loves. Notepad++ can now also run on ARM64 devices. Notepad++ has removed Microsoft Bing from the search settings due to its poor reliability. <laughs> Pretty funny. They also say that Notepad++ has a more modern look now thanks to fluent UI icons on the toolbar. And there are many more new features and bug fixes, so check that out. And now a hot job. This hot job is courtesy of my awesome sponsor, Policy Pack Software, who are looking for a product support specialist. 
They say they are looking for a team player to perform pre-sales demonstrations of their Windows desktop management software and perform post-sales level one support for their product. And don't worry if you think this is daunting, they will train you, but you should also come with a required baseline set of skills. The right candidate will have excellent demonstration skills, amazing patience and bedside manner, terrific organization, and an ability to learn new skills and apply them quickly. Technical skills should include creating videos with Camtasia. The product mostly uses group policy to deliver settings, so you should have decent AD and group policy experience. You should have good troubleshooting skills for Windows desktops. And if you have experience with Intune and our other MDM and our SCCM, that is a plus, but not necessarily required. If you have previous relevant product support specialist experience, that's a plus, but it's not necessarily required. Policy Pack are a pretty forward thinking company and they are all remote and will accept candidates from anywhere in the US or Canada. This is a full-time job and you'll spend some time on the phone or Zoom or Teams. So you need amazing phone skills and again, that great bedside manner. You should be comfortable with the camera on and camera off depending on the customer and situation. You need rock solid internet access. You will perform live weekly technical deep dive demos for prospects and customers. Create new videos to showcase new product functionality when that functionality is released. Recreate and retouch up existing videos of existing functionality. There will also be some travel opportunities as policy pack go to conferences. You perform kickoff calls with new customers to introduce their whole team to the platform and give them a high level overview. You perform first level email based tech support when customers email for support. You'd expect it to be generally helpful to customers to answer product questions and more. Some of the must haves include super strong over the phone support service skills, experience with VMware Workstation and Camtasia is a big plus. Company is based on the East Coast, so you need to be a Available full-time from 9 a.m. Eastern to 4.30 p.m. or 5 p.m. Eastern every day to field questions and have time with customers, demos, etc. Some of the benefits include 401k match, health and dental, and a profit-sharing program. So the more successful the company is, the more you share in that success. If this sounds interesting, I'll share a link for this opportunity with this episode which again is episode 180 on 5bytespodcast.com. You'll find it under reference links. Just click on reference links. The hot job will be at the top of the links for this episode. And now, some scripts, tricks, and tips. Patrick Koble and Ben Whitmore shared a tip about a Windows feed setting that updates some of the tiles in the Windows 10 menus. So it could bring in things like live news updates and weather updates, for example. And Patrick rightly asked the question, what this setting being enabled might do to a virtual desktop, for example. And Ben provides a reg setting to disable this. And I've seen other people kind of turning it into a meme of how you can manually like right click and disable these settings. But obviously in an enterprise environment, a registry setting is going to be more helpful. Jaron Thielen shared an awesome blog post on how to rewrite storefront logos based on group membership. 
So if you'd like to give a different kind of look and feel or branding based on AD group membership, you should check out this blog post. It's a pretty cool idea. Kevin Beaumont, who I've mentioned on this episode and many other episodes of the podcast before, shared a really great blog post that he created on the hard truth about ransomware and how it's a battle with new rules. And he goes through some recent examples and provides just amazing insights. So check that out. Eddie Jackson shared a handy PowerShell commandlet for disabling network adapters. Thomas Maurer shared a Windows WVD, but I guess it's AVD now, but a Windows AVD on Azure study guide for exam AZ-140. So if you're thinking about taking that exam, check out his guide. Daniel Card shared a thread on Active Directory help and some tips on what you can check, as well as some different resources that you can use for carrying out that work. So pretty cool stuff. And again, once more to promote my own stuff, which I'm doing every week now because I'm actually getting out new content every week, which is pretty amazing, pretty cool for me. But I shared a blog post on using the newly released or newly generally available Windows Package Manager version one to help streamline the automation of your application packaging. So if you'd like to find out a bit more on Windows Package Manager and how I've used it and incorporated it into my automation, check out that blog post. As always, thank you so much for listening and I'll catch you next week.